and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. And I will be your other co-host, Ryan Bauer. Ryan, it's been, it feels like so long since we've done this. It does, it's so weird. (laughs) How are you doing and uh, what have you been playing? I am doing pretty all right. It's been a crazy week. You know, the pandemic is probably (laughs) enough. Can't get any worse from here. But have you considered 16 inches of snow? <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm overall, I'm doing pretty good. I have been playing a bunch of Valhalla, uh, a whole bunch of Valhalla. I'm still plugging away whenever I have the time. And then just doing some Animal Crossing decorating. I, I cut down my apple orchard and put up a Christmas tree farm. And I'm just kind of redoing some areas to make some room for those snowballs. How are you? And what have you been playing? Wow, that was, I oh mean, I got to take a, a, a page from your book for, for Animal Crossing. Jeez. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I um, Things are going crazy at my job. I had to change positions, which is fine, just because of like, the situation with the pandemic and everything. So so that's going fine. Still a therapist, so that's cool. Just a little bit different, which is which is fine. You know, you roll with the punches. Like you said, like you thought the pandemic was enough. Well, here's all these other problems <laughs> that go on. You know, you're at your job or the, the snow, so... Yeah, first nor'eastern really hit us pretty good. But yeah, no, I'm sitting here. I am drinking my favorite cider from Three Brothers Wineries in Seneca Lake. We're not in any way sadly sponsored by them, but if you would storygoers like cider or wines, I highly recommend them. Ryan, I think you've been there as well. Yes. Oh yeah, it's very yeah. delicious. It's just so delicious good. stuff. So if you go and you buy any cider or wine from uh three brothers and you want to tell them that you bought it because of us that we told you wow that'd be fantastic i don't think it'll do anything but you never know but yeah anyway i also got a tattoo yes for the first time yes. yeah yeah it was crazy i was very nervous and now i just want them all over me <laughs> and i'm kind of convinced that like when you get your when you get a tattoo and it's kind of just like generally accepted by everybody as being like a good tattoo you become like 2% cooler. You know mm, what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. So now I'm 2% cool, and I'm pretty psyched about it. I've never had this <laughs> feeling before. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's been cool. Um, and actually, the tattoo is all about perspective. And like, and we talk about oh, that a lot here on the yeah. podcast. So maybe I'll post a picture sometime if we need to post something on Instagram or something. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, so everything else is going great. Game-wise, uh, I have gotten full force back into Animal Crossing. I have like... I make I kind of got down how to make snowman with the the twelve seventeen method. Ooh, have you heard about this? I have not. No. So if you if you roll the base snowball for seventeen seconds and then the the head for twelve seconds, it should be a perfect snowman every time. Oh, very and I've been cool. doing. I I probably get them like seventy five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. If not, I have to restart and then and then do it all over again, which which is fine. So um so yeah, I I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. I started playing No More Heroes two, mm-hmm. and I. Don't know. I I finished No More Heroes one, and I just kept wanting to go back and playing play it. The man, there's just something different about No More Heroes two. I think they threw in like more cringy, like awkward jokes, and the gameplay is a little different. And I just don't know if I want to go back to it. Sadly, I, it really like I remember beating this game and thinking it was fine. So now I'm just kind of sad that, that I don't want to really want to go back to it. I don't know. I yeah, I've been more into uh, like, like a lot of fighting games like. Dragon Ball Fighters is there's a national uh, like worldwide tournament going on right now and I'm like super into it. I don't know why. Well, actually I do know why. I like Dragon Ball Z a lot <laughs> since I was a kid. It's such a cool series. Um, so yeah, I've been getting back into that. I'm garbage at it, but man, it's a lot of fun. I just watched the presentation from uh, Mr. Sakurai from Nintendo for the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and his presentation with Sephiroth and man, I'm just like super, 
Like, I'm super down for that. It, <laughs> I just Super Smash Brothers Ultimate it might be one of the most amazing games to ever happen, just because of the sheer number of different characters from different franchises mm-hmm. in that one game. It just blows my mind that he was able to do that. It's it's crazy. I, I Props to, to Sakurai, because, like, I just... Yeah, it, it, it blows my mind. It's so cool. Just the fact that Sephiroth is in a fighting game and Cloud and Mario and Link and Yoshi. <laughs> like, it just, like, blows my mind. That's so cool. So, yeah, that is basically the, the gist of um, <laughs> all I've been playing. And actually, it's a pretty cool segue because uh, we have some reader mail again Ooh. from our good friends at the First Encounter Podcast. Again, they were nice enough to email us. As we said before, First Encounter Podcast are good friends of ours uh, that we met through podcasting. They focus on... There's Chris, and there's Haney, and uh, Chris has beat the game, has beat Final Fantasy VII, the original, and Haney has not. You see these two, we talk about perspective a lot, we get their, both of their perspectives from this one game as someone who has beaten it and someone who hasn't, and it's just such a great idea. Like, I just, oh, man, I'm like jealous of them, because like, I think it's such a cool idea to do this, to get two, like, literally they're getting two different perspectives of this one game in in two different situations i'm almost jealous of Haney because like he gets to experience this game for the first time again and i remember playing final fantasy 7 forever ago but i don't remember like truly ex- how i experienced it the first time you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like it's really cool to, to hear him talk about it but enough gushing let's jump into chris's email he goes hey guys just finished your second dlc episode and just had to respond it was a really fun episode first of all thanks for the kind words that you gave for first encounter it really means a lot one of the best parts of starting a podcast is getting to meet and befriend like-minded folk so i've been really enjoying connecting this way and it's true like first encounter is fantastic like they've been so nice to us fingers crossed we'll collab in the future i know it's kind of crazy right now with everything i know they're really busy with their lives we're really busy with ours so like you know, it's just not going to happen yet, but I'm, I think hopefully one day we will have time we can get together and, and they'll be like amazing guests. I can't wait for that. Chris continues. Now I had to laugh at how nervous Eric sounded talking about <laughs> Final Fantasy VII Remake. It actually sounded like we responded to the game in a pretty similar manner as I fell off of it for a couple months, somewhere near the middle. It's probably nostalgia, but while I enjoyed it quite a bit, it didn't do the same thing for me that the original did. Haney hasn't played it yet since he is yet to finish the first game. But after he does, we're thinking of tackling some of the other Final Fantasy VII-related media first. Dirge of Cerberus is a pretty exciting one for me, as I haven't played it yet, and I've heard it's a pretty mixed bag as far as gameplay goes. Yeah, I'm super happy. Actually, that was, that was why in DLC Episode 2 I was so nervous, because like, I did not want to offend these guys with my like view on Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I actually really planned to like beat it over... I always talk about this January, February break from games, really. And I do plan on beating it. Like, I, I need to. Like, just watching the Sephiroth performance thing for Smash, made, like, really just, like, wants me to jump into something Final Fantasy. Dirt of Cerberus, I got, I really enjoyed it in high school when I didn't have a great, <laughs> really, knowledge of games yet, I think. Uh, so looking back on it now, it was, it was really hard to watch. But, Ryan, how do you feel about Final Fantasy VII in general? So, in general, I know it's a really great, game i i similar to haney just have never partaken so i know it's this like large kind of pillar of gaming and through osmosis i've understood like a lot of the spoilery stuff the like the really buckwild stuff that happens uh, but that's that's i'm I'm more of a, a haney than a chris in this situation yeah yeah it almost feels like a, a monumental task to jump into a final fantasy game i feel like sometimes like i didn't beat final fantasy 15 because it's just so massive i just didn't connect with it the same way i did with final fantasy like 7 9 10 and and 10 2 so yeah like it's just it's, it's a big 
like series to jump into. It feels like a monumental task sometimes, especially Final Fantasy VII with all the different media and where the story is and stuff. Like it's it's kind of crazy. Which I think why why the remake is such a cool idea for people who never played before to jump into it. So yeah, but yeah, yeah. And I think like we talked about in DLC episode one, um, I just didn't have a PlayStation at the time of these. So like I've played the mm-hmm. Game Boy Final Fantasies and the remakes of like one and two and three. But yeah, I've never I've never jumped into any of the the disked Final Fantasy games. I attempted Final Fantasy X, but um, I like I think I got to the first boss and didn't know how to level up my character because it was so obtuse, and then I just got oh, like very yeah. confused and sad. And um, <laughs> my friend Tyler laughed at me, and I didn't play anymore. <laughs> That's not a good way to encourage someone it's to play. Okay. Like it, you. Was, it was it was <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the one who let me borrow it and encouraged me to try it. So he, I, I appreciate his 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 support, um, and I'm sure if I wasn't a dangus, it would have been just fine. <laughs> I think they fixed that too. I'm not positive. I haven't played the the new re releases for the for ten and ten two, but I heard that they they changed it so it's easier to to level up. I'm not 100 percent sure that's true. I think that's just what I heard. I don't know. But anyway, Chris continues. Another thing that I enjoyed hearing in this episode and past ones is how the stories in Crusader Kings develop. I've always been interested in getting into those games but they're pretty intimidating. I was wondering if Ryan had any suggestions for a newcomer. I've watched some videos, but are there any series you would recommend? Good first steps. So I I, I haven't watched any videos or I haven't, I haven't really jumped in that way. My best encouragement for you if you're jumping into CK3 is, is first off, understand it's going to be really dense and a lot. And the, the tutorial actually in CK3 is pretty good to kind of take it slow. And it's okay to not understand everything that's happening. Um, because one of the magic things of the Crusader Kings games and similar games is you're not playing to win or you can play that way. There's certain people who do. You're not playing to win or create like this perfect kingdom and take over the world. That's just not the scope of this experience. It's just kind of have this like this fun story that you're kind of driving in some way or pushing through. But it's really dense and just take it in small chunks, dive in and give it a try. There is multiplayer. So Chris, Holla at me if you want to do some multiplayer sometime and we can dive in that way. You can pause the game at any time. You can slow things down at any time and use that and there's no shame in that. Um, but yeah, that that's my advice. I, I'm sure there are some really good YouTubers out there with some great tutorials. I just, I, I don't know them. I, I haven't used them. I, I just, I just dived in on my own and, and powered through, but I certainly think there's a better way to do it. Yeah, I totally see. I, yeah, it's, when I listened to you talk about that game, it was just so fascinating how it can just go anywhere it makes you really want to jump into it also but like again like it seems like it's a kind of monumental thing to do but i think you just gotta <laughs> jump in it's kind of what i'm like you know like it yeah. seems silly to feel that way i think <laughs> so i'm just gonna go yeah. i just gotta do it yeah which is and then again it's on games pass so like anyone just can just play it you know chris continues uh in terms of your list i've been eyeballing carry on and hades for a while but just haven't taken the plunge i only hear good things about hades and the only other game i played of theirs is bastion and i enjoyed it a lot so i'm not sure what's taking me so long to pick it up I think it's just the fact that it's a roguelike, but if this is a good fit for other people who don't normally click with that idea, I have to try it out. Regarding Carrion, I've enjoyed platformers quite a bit, but what I watched of Carrion caused me to assume that the gameplay would, would get repetitive. I love the concept though. Does it stay fresh and fun for the whole way through? Ghost of Tsushima looks and, ama- looks and sounds amazing, and I didn't realize the character choices play such an interesting role in the story, so now that's back on my radar. Um, I would say, I mean, we've talked about Hades so much in yeah. this in this podcast already. It's just <laughs> literally like I played Dead Cells and I liked it. I just didn't. I, I kind of fell off it really fast. I enjoyed it for what it was. I would like I would like use my exercise bike with it every morning and play for like a half hour. But I would never want to like 
go back to it after that. And I probably played it for like a good like three weeks, two or three weeks, and I was done. But with Hades, it's just like I I don't know. I just I get I get like pulled back into wanting to do another run. I was actually like watching one of my favorite streamers on Twitch, Maximilian Dude. And he had been talking about how he never wants to play Hades. Like, it just became this thing that everybody wanted him to play Hades. He wasn't going to do it. And then he made this joke. He goes, all right, I'll play it. Like, we'll, we'll play Hades. He's been playing it for, like, three days now. <laughs> and I watched it this morning. And he's, like, he was like been, he's been up for, like, eight hours. Probably maybe, like, close to ten at this point or something like that. Something crazy. He's, like, oh, my God. I just want to do another run so bad. But I'm so tired. And, like, and that's exactly how I feel every time I play that game. I just... I literally want to start a whole new run. And sometimes I do, and I'm like, oh my God, I got to stop. I, I just started a whole new run. I got to stop. Like, I got to <laughs> stop halfway through this thing. I just, this is ridiculous. I've played like five runs. Like, it just is such a great game. It is so good. But Ryan, what do you think about Hades? And what do you think about um, uh, Karen? Does it stay fresh the whole way through? Similar to you, I tried Dead Cells. Me and my girlfriend tried Dead Cells. And it was fine for what it was, but there was like, ah, this is fun, but I just don't, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And I, I don't feel mm-hmm. like the, the luck piece of getting a good gear is is there. And then for Hades, for both of us, and I mean, I think everybody who's tried it, it, it just is so engaging, both because the gameplay is just really fun and really quick and really easy. But then there is like these really interesting characters that pull you in. So please try Hades. It is worth the dive. And with Carry On, uh, for me, I didn't feel at any point it was repetitive. It's not a super long game, and you get a lot of really cool abilities and powers over time, and you can move slow or fast. It made it really enjoyable, and at no point did I feel any kind of slog. I will say, there's no in-game map, so sometimes you're wandering around a little bit. I, I, I didn't mind because I really just loved being in that game and wanted more and more and more of it. Did you ever like, go back into a room and, and you just saw all the gross dead bodies and blood everywhere? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, did I do this? Like, was this me? <laughs> yeah, but it was more of a, yes, I did this. This was me. <laughs> I got to play that one too. That's, I, that one looks awesome also. Yeah. Also so on Game Pass. Games. Also on Game Pass. Also, oh wow, it is really? Yes, yeah, it oh, is. Man. Oh yeah. All right, okay. You got me, I got to do it. <laughs> I'm gonna do it soon. I, I swear. I have a whole week off of work because, like, I can't do therapy in this school that I'm working at when school's off. So when mm-hmm. they have Christmas break, so I plan on just going crazy. I'm trying to catch up on all the games I can. Like, we'll see. I probably will just do half of one, but we'll, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, all right, we continue. Chris continues. Uh, I can go on and on, but now that I'm writing this, I'm actually getting frustrated because the excitement you both have when discussing these games is infectious and it makes me want to grab them all. I'll close out by saying, as someone who has pl- only played the first, I'm especially looking forward to your Assassin's Creed episode. I've always been curious about what in the world is going on with that story, so hearing it from people who have been so involved with the series will be pretty special. Keep up the great work. Chris ends by saying, and this isn't necessary, but I just wanted to say this, P.S., this is a lot of text. I wrote it all to get my thoughts out immediately after listening to this episode. I was originally going to message you guys directly through Twitter for a chit chat, but then thought you might like some of this for the episode. If you do, definitely don't feel like you had to read the entire thing. Well, to heck with that, Chris. We will take any perspectives we can. Send them our way. And that goes for you, storygoers. If you have a thought, feeling, or perspective you want to share with us, do not hesitate to email us at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're always posting stuff. Comment on a post or DM us. Let us know what you think like about any of the games we covered or any games we will cover or just any game in general. Deck with it. We'll save them all. We'll make sure we read them. So We also have an email from the other host of First Encounter Podcast, which is Haney. He goes, hello. I just started listening to your podcast recently after Chris told me about it, and I was super amped to hear your kind words about our show. Thanks. 
hey man, that's all you. Like that, your show's awesome. I love it. So keep up the great work. I wanted to reach out because I was listening to your newest episode, DLC episode two, and you inspired me to pick up a new game. I'm a massive Star Wars fan. The original trilogy and books are now part of the legends define my childhood. And while I agree with your assessment of the new trilogy, I have to admit I'm a fan of the prequel trilogy, mostly episodes one and three. And I'll stop and I'll, and I'll say, actually after that episode, I was thinking more about it. And I really, I think I enjoyed the prequels more than I let on. I'm not even just saying that because Haney just like pointed out in his email. I think like, yeah, it had its problems. I think it was a little bit too government diplomatic-y uh, to make sense of, especially because I was so young when these came out. I didn't really like pay attention to that stuff. But comparatively to like the new trilogy, I think I enjoyed the prequels more. I don't know if that's like blasphemy or not. I really, you know, but like, I just think I did. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? What do you love about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, similar to Haney, uh, they were a big part of my childhood. And like one of the first movies I ever saw on release day was episode three. So that like, again, there's like a special piece there is like that is the Star Wars I grew up with. Um, mm-hmm. reflecting back on it, certainly it has its problems, but they were, they, they were enjoyable. They were, they were a good time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, for what it was, it was, it was cool. And like, actually now as we're recording this, it was announced that for the Obi-Wan series that Disney plus is going to be doing, or Disney in general, I should say is doing Hayden Christensen who played Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader and Ewan McGregor who played Obi-Wan are going to be back for the show, which is like really cool. So cool. I'm yeah. super cool with that. Yeah. Cause I feel like. I feel like say what you will about Hayden Christensen. I thought he did. I, I thought he did a good job for what he had. Like I thought. I think he's a good actor. And then like, yeah. I didn't think it was very fair to. I, I I wonder if he didn't like act in anything for a long time because of, of Star Wars and like which kind of makes me sad because I feel like he really did try hard. That moment when he's like, on it's Mustafar I think right. Yeah, Mustafar. The, 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 yeah, the he's screaming player. at Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah. He's screaming at Obi Wan. They hates him. Like I, I love that scene because you can really feel the anger that he has for Obi-Wan and how he's just like been warped. And you see that pain in Obi-Wan too, that he's like lost this person that he cared about so much. It's, I don't know. I love, I love that. That That's so, that's so good. Yeah. Um, I think he did the best he could with some of the writing that he had. Yeah, exactly. And I think Hugh, Hugh McGregor was awesome too. Like, and Natalie Portman did a, a good job though. I wish he had like more, maybe not in episode two, but in the other ones, more of like a damsel and stress kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe not yeah. in episode one either. More episode three. I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking out loud. So <laughs> yeah, anyway, email continues. I'm a huge fan of the Clone Wars cartoons. Basically anything Dave Filoni touches. I, I never say his name right the first time. I always have to like double say his name, but he's really cool too. He did a great job on, on all the Star Wars series that he's been involved in. Um, I actually need to finish uh the clone wars still so yikes did you ever watch it no i haven't but i saw on twitter um which is the place where i learn all things um (laughs) i saw on twitter that there was this like really cool like hey if you're interested to know what the connection with clone wars and rebels is with uh, mandalorian watch like season one of clone wars episode three four six and season two like it gave me the like the exact 40 episodes i need to watch to get like the really good story bits because it sounds like although uh, haney correct me if i'm wrong it sounds like clone wars is really great but there is similar to like dragon ball z some filler bits here and there again i haven't mm-hmm. i haven't dived in so i i have no idea but that it sounded yeah. really intriguing to me and i kind of want to like sit down one day and just watch all of those episodes yeah people love that series so much like i and i don't think we would have that obviously if it wasn't for the prequels so i mean a lot of good things came from the prequels i think say what you will about the prequels themselves i think a lot of good came from that but yeah anyway i digress so back to the back to the email so back to the i and basically anything dave finoli touches which i think if you watch episode one and two and then the clone wars full series and then three the movies make a lot more sense and i feel like it lends a lot of character development that anakin was robbed of in the purely cinematic field 
cool. I think I, I literally didn't realize that he was about to say that. I read this before. Uh, I forgot what he's going to say. And we just kind of touched it based on how cool like King Christian did with Anakin and how, you know, you feel that pain and anger. And I would love to feel like he's more fleshed out. That'd be awesome. Anyway, I picked up Fallen Order because I really like the idea of being a Force-sensitive character without being fully aligned to being a Jedi Knight or Sith Lord. I like those gray, complex characters, and your description of the game made me want to play it. I'll check back in when I finish it. But in the meantime, thanks for listening to us, and you guys make an awesome show. Haney. P.S. Mandalorian is the absolute best thing to happen to Star Wars since Empire. Heck yes. I totally (laughs) agree with that. I totally agree with that. Oh, I love Mandalorian. It actually comes out that the last episode of this season comes out tomorrow, and I'm super pumped for it. Mm, I can't wait. Are you watching it all, Ryan? This season, I haven't. No, my my Verizon uh, Disney Plus ended in November. No. If you want to use mine, you're welcome to. You're more than welcome to. Maybe. Well, I'll think about it. I'll see. I, I also, you know, I, I should I should give them money for the thing they're creating. But if if not, I'll just I'll just holler at you. Yeah. I'll give them that. the thing. <laughs> like that's very kind of you. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'm going back to what Haney said about Fallen Order. Like I I love that. Like it's not like forced down your throat throughout the game that you're this Jedi. Like you're only a Jedi, and like you kind of see like the different sides of what it means to be a Jedi and what it means to be a Sith. I hope that they are going down this gray road, like the the gray Jedi. Like I would I would love that. There's been a lot of speculation of like the Jedi that the, the Jedi that we'll see in Mandalorian eventually, if there is any, and like. Cal Custis, who's the main character of Fallen Order, is one of those people that like could definitely show up because the person who played him as, as an actor and he could easily like his 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 likeness in the game is how he looks like in real life. So he could easily show up in a live action thing, which would be so amazingly cool. Like how that would be so amazing. How oof, I just it gives me like goosebumps thinking about it. It's so cool. It'd be so cool to see a force sensitive person pull that line between Jedi and Sith and show like the, the true balance is what I think it is. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ryan? Um, I haven't. I, I still haven't. Fallen Order again, another game on the list I need to play. Um, but mm. like you, I really love the idea of the gray, and I wish they would have fully embraced it like they toyed around with in the new uh, trilogy. My feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, it makes me sad too because I remembered I actually watched the trailer recently for um, The Force Unleashed Two. Oh yeah, so I remember those games. Trouble. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and like I remember like the story being a lot of fun, but the gameplay was very boring. And it makes me kind of sad that like Jedi Fallen Order, the gameplay is so much fun. And it doesn't really get boring. It's actually very challenging. And it makes me sad that like they couldn't have used that for Force Unleashed 2. Because like I think that would have made that game a thousand times better if it wasn't like repetitive and like not easy, but it just wasn't that fun to play. The story was more interesting in my perspective at least. And Star Killer was a really cool character. So if they can bring him back or something. I heard that there's rumors that he could potentially come back in some way, shape, or form in the future, but I don't know. It doesn't really matter right now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Chris Haney, thank you so much for writing in. First Encounter Podcast, check them out. They're on Spotify. They're on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, I believe. Check them out. They're fantastic. They're doing great work. And uh, and I, I just, if you love Final Fantasy or you love video games in general and you're all about the perspective thing, they are two people that you will love to listen to, I think. I mean, I, I, I take my dog for walks and I listen all the time. Um, I'm a little bit busier than usual than I was in the summer, so it's hard to keep up sometimes. But I'm always, when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm listening to them. So highly recommend it. But yeah, so those are our wonderful writings. Thank you guys again. And yeah, remember, you. you guys can write in too. So if you have any thoughts, feelings, perspectives, please write in. We would love to read those on the show, whether we agree with us or not. And that actually is be a lot of fun to talk about. So, But besides that, Ryan... Mm-hmm. We are covering mm-hmm. a fantastic game today. Would yes. you please want to announce what it is? 
Yeah, so we are covering Firewatch, an incredible uh, game from not that long ago, from September of 2016 by Campo Santo, developed and published by, um, written by Chris Remo, Jake Rodkin, Ali Moss, Sean Vanman. Um, hopefully I said some of those names correctly. But yeah, a really, really, a really incredible game. I'm excited to, to dive in. And I think you've collected some influences background for us. Background stuff and influences I thought were just like super interesting. Uh, so Firewatch was created by, like Ryan said, from the writers, uh, Jake Rod- Rodkin and Sean Vanaman. <laughs> You're right. Those are hard to say. <laughs> Uh, who are the creative leaves on The Walking Dead? The Telltale games, which are awesome. I loved those games. I'm very excited to cover those games in the future. Ryan, did you play the, the Telltale Walking Dead games? Um, I did not play it, but I have watched them completely on YouTube um, mm-hmm. and enjoyed that experience immensely. They're very good. Very good. Especially very good. those first couple seasons. Um, so good. I can totally see where some of that that stuff gets into the story of Firewatch, just like yeah. the character development in such a unique way. Um, I bawled my eyes at the, like a baby at the end of season one. So, mm-hmm. so good. Actually, those, those games are fantastic. Those would be fun to cover. Anyway, back to the background influences. Nels Anderson, the lead designer on Mark of the Ninja and artist Ali Moss also are a part of this development team. It was the first game ever made by Campo Santos. The team got inspiration for the game by going on a camping trip to Yosemite National Park, where they actually visited a lookout tower built in the same design as in the game and in Firewatch itself, which is super cool. Further inspiration from the game also came from the team members who had experiences growing up in rural Wyoming. I don't know if Wyoming really exists or not. We haven't had any listeners from Wyoming yet, so prove me wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Just put them on blast. Put Wyoming. all of Wyoming on blast. <laughs> the walkie-talkie interaction in the game is inspired by the relationship in Bioshock between Jack and Atlas throughout the game, as well as the dialogue system from The Walking Dead. So there's a lot of other inspirations from other games in this, which I didn't, I never knew that playing Firewatch the first time that there was some kind of Bioshock reference. It's so cool now, and you kind of see that too. But at one point in the development, it was intended that the protagonist would be able to communicate with like multiple characters in the game, such as like other hikers and whoever you meet throughout the way in the forests. Uh, but the idea was scrapped. It was really expensive, and the schedule requirements for the team was just all out of whack. So it's just you and, and the other person in your position throughout this game. And then last but not least, for background, uh, the developers cast Sissy Jones, who appeared in The Walking Dead as the voice of Delilah. It took a lot longer to find the voice of Henry, but they, they kind of ultimately cast uh, Rich Somer. Recorded lines in separate studios uh, while on conference calls with each other to achieve a more like natural relationship that we kind of see in the game itself. Uh, the actors actually made the decision themselves not to meet at all during the production. They, so they never met face-to-face. They only ever talked to each other over these calls to kind of like simulate that distance between the characters themselves in the game. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's like, really that's amazing. So I love cool. that so much. That's so cool. I know. It's like so... Like, the fact that they suggested that makes it feel like they were the right people to pick for this game. Those are the background and influences we found. I Way more than I ever thought was in part of this game. I feel like this game... I haven't thought about this game since it first came out. And now that we were talking about it, I'm just gushing all over. I just want to play. That sounds that sounded awful. I just want to play this game again so bad. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Never use the word really gushing good, again. No, gush, gush all you want, Eric. No one can okay, stop okay. you. I'm crying. Oh my god. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but Ryan, before we jump in the story, what are some of your memories from uh, Firewatch? 
Yeah, so this game is, at least for me, the first game that I ever, that, that like defined that kind of walking simulator type experience for me. Gone Home, I think, came out before this. This was the game that I, I, I watched and I played that kind of really captured what that experience like could really fully. This game, I just remember being really incredible in how it, it told the story in such an interesting way. In the themes, I, I just really loved the idea, especially, which we'll talk about. One of the major themes of this story kind of resonating with me so much, but we'll talk more about that. What about you? Friend. And we actually, my girlfriend and I played Firewatch together. So it's funny, I think about Gone Home, I remember playing that game when I was first talking to her and I was telling her like, yeah, I'm playing this like spooky game and I, I feel like something bad's going to happen and I'm kind of terrified and like nothing... Spoilers, nothing ever happens in that game. <laughs> it's really spooky, but like it's really good kind of like ambiance and, 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 and actually, again, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like a lot of that feeling of creepiness that's not really there is present in Firewatch. And yeah. we'll get more into that later, but it's such a cool connection there. But my memories of Firewatch are, I have really positive memories of Firewatch. I actually, uh, I would visit my girlfriend at college. I would drive like three hours to see her and she was open to the idea of playing this game and she was not a huge gamer or anything like that, but she was very open to Firewatch. She's a lover of nature and stuff. So like, it was this perfect fit, I thought in my mind. And we played it and we beat it like really fast, like probably like two days, like because I was only there for a weekend and we beat it that first weekend. And I just remember loving it so much. It was so deep. It was deeper than I thought. I remember just walking through like the forest and then the nature was just so like kind of captivating. Even in like, it wasn't like, it's not hyper-realistic environments, but it's in this beautiful art style that it just kind of draws you in. Maybe even more so than if it was like hyper-realistic. You know what I mean? I, it's just, it does such a great job at kind of pulling you in as Henry and putting you in as like in Henry's shoes, the main character's shoes, and just taking you on this journey. I, I just, yeah, we we both really enjoyed it. And actually, I think we're going to play it again really soon just because just talking about it is, is so much fun. I, I'm very excited to cover the game. I, I didn't even realize that you had such a personal connection with this game. That makes this even more special. That's yeah, yeah, I'm happy yeah. you picked it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well then we're going to dive in. Before we dive in, just as kind of a trigger warning, there are talk of death, there is talk of Alzheimer and PTSD in this game in really kind of complex and um, fully formed ways in a way that feels like if, if perhaps if somebody's experiencing these things or has part of these things it's important to be aware just going into this that we, we touch on some of those things those warnings are important and for those who don't really care about the warnings cool you know they're not they're not gonna be for you and that's okay but for those of you who do appreciate it and you know We'll try to make sure we do better at that when there are triggers, potential triggers. Um, as a therapist who talks to kids about their triggers all the time, um, probably would have been a good idea to put this in more <laughs> in the beginning. Just never thought of it. So, um, but yeah, no, I think I think moving forward, that's a great idea. So, Firewatch. The game starts in 1975 in Boulder, Colorado. Henry sees Julia. She's about his age, late 20s, laughing with well-dressed professors and grad students from nearby CU Boulder. Henry's out drinking with his friends and he approaches her while very drunk. So, uh, what's your major? He slurs the words major and gives an awkward smile. Evolutionary biology, she says. And I'm a professor. One week later, he's Julia's boyfriend. They date for over a year. She drives him absolutely nuts. It's great. Julia wants to get a dog. There's an intimidating but gentle-eyed German Shepherd. Nothing bad could happen to Julia while walking this dog. It's badass. 
Mayhem is an excellent dog. He loves wrestling with you in the park and goes with Julia on her runs. Even though he's too big to bring to school, Julia loves him all the same. Mayhem is a friend, child, and pet all rolled into one. Six months later, they get engaged, lying in bed on a Sunday morning. Back to present day. Backpack on the bed of his red truck. Henry heads out to Thurfor Trailhead. Sunny yet serene as he inspects the bulletin board on the trailhead. It reminds him to check in, watch for bears, and no fire. Back in 1984, plans to have kids get waylaid by work. Julie gets offered a job at Yale. Yale's in Connecticut, 2,000 miles away. It's a great job. Associate department chair. She wants to move. Henry doesn't. He asks her if she'll commute back and forth. She says it'll be hard, but she'll do it if you won't move. Henry encourages her to take the job. She does. Flies back to Boulder three times each semester. 1985. Julie is sent home from Yale on paid leave after having an episode. She lost it on a colleague for borrowing books that were important to her research. She didn't remember she had happily loaned them to him two days prior. She was found crying in a stairwell. Henry suggests she sees a doctor. Seeing multiple doctors and having many tests, Julia might be suffering from early onset dementia. She's 41. 1987. Julia's affliction gets worse. She can't remember things in class. Her research is in shambles. She drives her car to the next town over for no particular reason and has to be brought home by the police. She's devastated. She's sent home on permanent medical leave. Some days, Julia calls him a dope and the unborn children little idiots. Other days, he's a stranger. It's hard to spend time with her. Henry begins to go out after he puts her to bed. He drinks beer and watches sports on the deck alone, or he goes to the bar and spills everything to the bartender. One night, Henry stopped at a DUI checkpoint. He's sent to jail for the night. Julia's parents find out. When they arrive at their house to take care of Julia, they're shocked by the state of the house, and they take her into their care. He promises he'll visit, but he sees an ad for a summer job in the paper. He takes it. Back at present. The moon is out. Crickets are chirping. When he finally arrives at the lookout tower, Henry turns on the generator switch, and the room in the tower lights up like a Christmas tree. Inside is a basic setup. Mini kitchen with gas stove, wood fire heater, cot, and desk. There's no running water. The walkie-talkie comes to life. Hello? Two Forks Tower? Um, hello? Whoever this is? It's Henry, right? I'm Delilah. So what's wrong with you? Excuse me? People take this job to get away from something. What's wrong? Look, I just hiked for two days, so I really don't follow whatever it is you're doing right now. Take a stab at what's wrong with me. Fine. Then can I sleep forever? (laughs) Sure, buddy. Now go ahead and guess. Uh, you've killed three husbands, you're a black widow, and you're just out here until that dies down. And then you can kill again. Bravo! I'm guessing that you just got dumped. Uh, so Eric, that's our that's our intro of Henry's character before we dive in. And if that was confusing at all, um, we started off it, it in the past. We jumped to present day and jumped back to the past. Yeah, We've just yeah. got kind of a, an idea of... We've got our introduction of Henry as a character. Do you have any thoughts or anything that jumped out at you or anything you remember or you want to discuss? Yeah, definitely. Actually, I remember playing this game the first time. I remember thinking I did not like Henry originally. I, I, back then, I was I was twenty four. So this is like five years ago, right? This game, well, this game came out in two thousand sixteen. So okay, so that's four years ago. Still, I did think I changed a little bit. Almost five. A little bit Almost four years. five. Almost five. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I remember thinking I didn't like Henry just because of the way I feel like he let Julia down for what happened. But now, present day Eric feels like I can't imagine the pain Henry had gone through seeing someone that he loves uh, degenerate like that and realizing that he also is, was suffering from uh, some kind of mental illness through this. Uh, and it seemed like he was just trying his best. And, and it was probably, I imagine, quite shameful to admit that he couldn't do it anymore. Like, you know, when Julia's parents came and took her away, I, I wonder what he felt in that moment. So yeah, I, I feel like I didn't give Henry a lot of credit. Um, I remember I didn't like him first because he told her he didn't want to move. Mm-hmm. But then again, I 
had a hard time moving too recently. So I, I feel like I get that. It's very easy to be stuck in this like, you didn't do this for your significant other, so you're not a very good uh, partner in this relationship. But then you also have to take into account that just because someone does something that doesn't seem like it's the right choice for a relationship doesn't mean it's the wrong choice for them. So I, I sympathize so much more with Henry now as a 20, 29-year-old human than I did at a, as a, a 25-year-old human. Did you have any thoughts uh, originally when you played this or, or, or now about Henry or Julia or just the, the development of that? Yeah, I think I had a similar experience where it's really easy to kind of throw Henry into the bus as someone who's like, well, what do you mean? Why why won't, why won't? are you so unwilling to move? Why are you kind of dropping the ball on this? But yeah, like going through this again and re- re-experiencing this, um, that, that stuff is still there. But also Henry is such, with this small amount of time we've gotten with him, he's such this complex character going through all these experiences. And I, I can really relate to not wanting to change your whole life. And, and I can't even come close to relating what it would be like to go through that experience and how you would cope with that. And it sounds like the way he coped maybe wasn't the healthiest, but I again, I, I don't know. I, I haven't had that experience. So I really liked looking back, similar to you, having that experience then and then looking back now and just really appreciating how much of a fully formed character Henry already feels before we even mm-hmm. have gotten jumped into the story. Yeah, they do a fantastic job of, of kind of getting the general gist of Henry. You know, he... He really does care about Julia. He cares about her more than I ever gave him credit for. I will I'll be the first to say that. Like, I did not think he was a very good partner when I first played this game. And looking at it now, I feel like he was just doing his best. And just because he's doing his best and it doesn't match up to your best, it doesn't mean that's not a good best. Does that make sense? Yeah, that like, makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. Now with this fresh perspective of Henry, I'm... I, I'm really looking forward to his interactions with Delilah and, and kind of what he learns on this journey again. It's It's been a while. Obviously, it's been four years, so I kind of forget what happens, when, which I'm happy about. I want to feel like I experienced this again. Um, and this is a great way to do it. Henry's a, Henry's a very interesting character already for me. So, I do want to say this whole intro, you have some choices you can make gameplay-wise. Like every game we do, this is kind of almost an abridged version. So please, if, if you're interested in hearing more about these characters, if you're interested in hearing more about this experience... Go try this game out yourself because it's it's really fantastic. But day one, Henry is typing on a teal typewriter when Delilah asks him to call her. Delilah's distraught. There are fireworks going off west of Henry's tower. The fire dangers through the roof. She asks him to intervene and take the fireworks away. On the way over, Henry grabs some rope and a nearby cache supply box. In the box, he finds a letter between two men, Dave Gaskell and Ron. After descending down the side of a shale cliff with a rope, he continues to the location where he saw the fireworks. After a short hike, he arrives at an empty campsite. Empty beer cans and a half-full whiskey bottle are lit at the campsite. The campfire is still smoking, which is quickly stamped out. Henry finds and confiscates the fireworks. He also finds clothes strewn everywhere. Bras and panties litter the ground. Two naked teenagers are skinny-dipping the lake. They're drunk. You gotta take it easy with the fireworks, alright? You gotta take it easy with the scissor buffet. Chelsea! What? He's just a loser out in the woods. I mean, he's growy. Why do you think it's alright to just stare at girls? You don't know anything about me. Uh, we know you're a peeping Tom. How long have you been standing over there? Henry throws their boombox in the lake. They swear at him and swim to the other side. Henry heads back to the lookout. On the way back, Delilah calls on the walkie. So I have a bit of, con- of a- sorry. So I have a little bit of a confession to make. I was drunk last night when I welcomed you to the job. Uh, you're not the first boss to be guilty of that. I know. I just can get a little pushy putting you on the spot about why you're out here and stuff. It's fine. Henry hears lightning in the distance and hurries out. I got hit by lightning when I was nine years old. 
I'm a sage. It's not going to strike twice and all that. <laughs> well, there was an old lookout named Ron Sullivan who got hit by lightning seven times. I don't like the sound of that. Well, if it makes you feel better, it was what killed him. Suicide. Would you believe it? He stops at another drop box near Thunder Canyon to update his map take a flashlight. It's getting dark. Another flashlight beams down. Beams down a nearby cliff. Henry looks up. The beam shuts off, and the figure disruptively walks away. Uh, hey, there's some guy out here. Give me the creeps. Wait, he's looking at you? Is he doing anything else? Uh, no. Henry, there's something you should know about this area. It's outside. The whole thing. And people come and go as they please. It's madness. Bumping into someone in the middle of nowhere is part of the fun. It's dark out. Just a hint of peach glow behind the mountains. Henry finally arrives back at the lookout. Only to be spooked by a wooden stanchion. A forest barns. A fictional forest ranger. He starts up the tower generator and heads up. The lookout has been completely thrown. His typewriter was thrown through the glass onto the ground below. Henry's items strewn all over. The place is completely trashed. Frustrated, Henry throws a picture of himself and Julia to the corner of the floor. I can't believe someone would do this. I worry about bears and fires and that's about it. And now I gotta worry about who knows what out there? In the morning, I'm going to call my friend Patty, who works the desk down in Cody, the nearby town. They keep a list of everyone who's officially been in and out of the trailhead and see if he can get a list of names. Henry goes to bed, not particularly worried about the break-in. Day 2. Delilah wakes Henry up with a problem. The storm knocked over the phone line she uses to talk to the service, which means they're cut off. Radio doesn't work either. Delilah asks Henry to hike out to where the wire runs through the area and report back if it's down so she can get someone to fix it, if need be. Henry heads back to the caves at Thunder Canyon, ensures that Julie is sick and that he shouldn't be there. Henry continues to follow the path of the fallen line. He discovers an old outhouse, an abandoned lookout, and a few supply boxes. He finds some interesting stuff in the box, including a Korean War vet's cap and some more notes between Ron and Dave, even a set of antlers. Henry finds more empty beer cans and assumes they're from the two teenage girls he previously encountered. It's the same type of beer can, at least. He continues to look around and finds more beer cans near the downed wire, dangling off the utility pole. The wire looks cut, and a pair of white panties lay next to the wire, with a message, Go to Hell, written on it with a picture of a dead ranger face. Lila is furious. She directs him to go find them. After I find them, what do you want me to do? I haven't thought that far ahead. It's That's not true. Everything that comes to my mind is illegal. What do you got? I came out here for a breath of fresh air and some adventure. I think I want you to just find them and scare the hell out of them. I don't know. Wait for them to wander off and wreck their camp. Something that would make a teenage girl run home to mommy and daddy. I'm on it. Henry heads back to the tower, eyes peered for anything that would lead him to the location of their campsite. He follows a trail littered with beer cans. He spots a hanging backpack from a dead tree. It's labeled Brian Goodwin's. Henry pilfers a disposable camera and a lot of straight rope. Delilah reveals that Brian was a 12-year-old stationed at Two Forks, the lookout, three years ago with his father Ned. They took off halfway through the summer. Henry finds a huge chain-link fence. Delilah wasn't aware there was a fence, isn't even sure who or what's behind it, or even why they would want to keep people out. Henry continues to search for the teenager campsite. What does she have? Uh, she, she's got Alzheimer's, like dementia. Whoa. How old was she? Uh, is she? Uh, she's alive. She's with her family in Melbourne, Australia. She's, she's 43. What was it like when you guys found out? Devastating, especially for her. You can understand everything she worked for was taken away, and that was it. Uh, sorry to be such a downer. Don't even. I'm happy to listen. And we'll try to have some fun this summer, I promise. Henry spots a thin plume of smoke down to the southwest and begins to head towards it. He begins recounting how he met Julie at the bar. I walked over to her and asked her what her major was, because I thought she was a student, not a prof. Smooth. That's me. Uh, I, I did make the first move, though. Aw, you were brave. I was drunk. 
They begin talking a bit more about the Goodwins. Ned Goodwin didn't get mauled by a bear or stuck in a ravine. He was just a PTSD'd asshole who dragged his son out to do a job and realized it was a bad idea. PTSD? That doesn't sound good. He was in the army. He was... off? It's actually the saddest story. He was only discharged because his mother, Brian's grandmother, died. She'd been taking care of him and Ned. She had been taking care of him, and Ned was the only next to kin. And you got to know Brian a little bit? Yeah. I talked to him way more than I talked to Ned, that's for sure. How was he at spotting fires? <laughs> Better than you. He actually liked to stay in the tower. Talia starts talking to him again as they continue to hike towards the smoke plume they spotted. What are you going to do when the fire season wraps up? You need to go be with her? Go back to Boulder? You should go be with her. Maybe I'll go visit. I don't know. She's with her family in Melbourne, and they're not big fans of me. Her sister Susan is great, but her parents, though. She could do better, and, and she can do better, and that I could. She could do better, and I could have done a better job looking after her. Fuck that. I have no doubt you did your best. I don't know. If you want to go visit her, you should. Don't let a couple of assholes keep you away from someone you love. Henry arrives at a beautiful cascading waterfall. The water gently splashes into the rock as the spray envelops the rest of the water pooling on the ground. Henry searches for the girls, knowing they would love swimming in this water. He comes across their camp campsite in the still-smoking campfire. He sees more of their signature beer cans littered on the ground. He finds his bed sheets, and Henry and Delilah conclude that they broke into his tower. Henry inspects the tent and notices it's completely shredded. Some of their clothes are all torn up and, and, and some of their clothes are all torn up and strewn on the ground. He finds a note. That says that the girls are leaving and calling the police because they think he attacked them. Henry begins to freak out. Delilah reassures him that she believes that he didn't attack the girls and that weird stuff happens in the woods. They don't know if it was a bear, bad mushroom trip, or another camper. Day three. To bring the sheets back to the lookout, Henry begins his morning by boarding up the window with some planks he found. Then Delilah tells him to take a seat and watch for forest fires or smoke. So, uh, Eric, I kind of want to stop here because we've started to see... Um, this relationship between Henry and Delilah and we've started to get some of the story pieces so far just here at the beginning but things kind of pop off and start going really really fast what are your kind of initial thoughts or feelings or perspectives again I am liking Henry way more than I did originally and and I and we see that pain that he has right he recognizes that Julia's parents don't like him very much and he's trying to, to do what he thinks is the overall right thing and Delilah is doing a really good job at being that other perspective and saying like, no, you love her. You should be with her regardless of like who you have to go through to, to see her. You know, Delilah is a very interesting character. I think she is a very open book and she is very to say what is just comes to her mind. And I think we all know that kind of person in our lives that does that. It could be a really good thing and it could be a really bad thing at times, I think. But overall, I respect people like that a lot because they can just say how they feel. I have a hard time doing that personally. So it's, that's a quality I feel like, while it could be negative at some points, I think it's a very respectable quality to be able to to just say how you feel. I think it's a very difficult thing to do. Overall, Delilah is very cool. Uh, I don't, how do you feel so far about this, uh, to where we are in the story so far, Ryan? I think they're setting up this kind of really good characterization of Delilah. She's, she like you said, she's been really supportive of Henry. And Henry's just kind of trying to do something to um, keep himself going with everything that's going on, it seems like. I think it's really important to highlight this one statement that Henry makes. And this is something that if you research this game, it's a phrase you'll see a lot. But it, 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 it means a lot is Henry states at one point, I came out here for a breath of fresh air and some adventure. That is the purpose of him coming to this space is to get a breather and to find some adventure. And just keep that in your mind as this story is unfolding because that tells you a lot of what you need to know. Day nine. 
Henry is eating a sandwich on a cliff, watching the sunset when Delilah calls him with bad news. Uh, two young women, Chelsea Stevens and Lily McLean, were reported missing. They've got parents out in California who haven't heard from them in a week. They're supposed to meet an aunt down in Cody. If they're the girls from last week, then you're probably the last person to have seen them. Uh, you, you should tell whoever that I'm happy to be questioned. I caused them some trouble, but nothing major. I never even got very close to them. Well, look, it's not going to be an issue. I mean, if they turn up dead, maybe. Should I just not say anything and save us the trouble? I, I think it's worth mentioning something. Yeah, I'll keep it vague. I really don't want to talk to the cops. Me either. Day 15. Someone calls, waking Henry up. It's completely dark outside. He blinks and sits up to grab the radio to answer. What do you want? Hey, you big dumb idiot. Hi, Jules. Oh, you sound tired. I am. Are you having a nice time? I don't know. There's some weird stuff going on. I'll let you go back to sleep then. Delilah seems really nice. Mm-hmm, sure. Bye, baby. Day 33. Henry heads north to pick up more supplies at a drop point. He needs to pick up some more food and bring it back to the lookout. It's hot. 90 degrees outside hot. And Henry has to climb up and over some pretty steep cliffs to reach the supplies. Delilah starts up a conversation with him while he hikes. So, two weeks ago, you called me in the middle of the night. You were sleeping, and all I heard was the name Jules through the mumbles. I thought it was sweet. I wanted to wake you up, but I thought maybe you were having a nice conversation, and I'd be spoiling it. I hope you're doing okay when it comes to her. A couple of months before I took this job, I was with this guy, Javier. He's incredible. Caring. Sexy as hell. He was a driller down in Casper. We dated for almost five years. I was working with the Wyoming Outdoor Leadership School, and I was obsessed with it. I wanted to be an instructor so badly. Walls is also a good excuse to get out of town, drink whiskey in the mountains, cut loose. Then, Javier's brother got killed working in Gillette, and for some reason, I didn't come home. Javier said it was fine. He'd go to the funeral, take care of his mom, stuff like that. It'd be easier solo. When he came back, he left me. I came out here. I lied. I told my sister he fucked our neighbor. I just lied about it for over 10 years, and for some reason, I wanted you to know. I figured you've told me so much about you. I wanted, I wanted you to know something about me. We both fucked up. Henry pulls out his walkie-talkie. Unsure of what to say, doesn't respond. He arrives at the cache and announces, Found the supplies! Oh, good. Enjoy. He takes his designated box and heads back to the lookout. Day 64. It's dark outside. A countless number of stars litter the night sky. In the distance, an angry orange and yellow flame is roaring. Plumes of billowing smoke black out the stars as it floats up to the sky. You've got a front row seat to what might be the biggest fire of the year. I'm going to call it in. They'll send in a hotshot crew for some suppression, but I bet we'll be stuck with her for the rest of the summer. She doesn't have a name yet. I usually think of something funny, or something practical, or a little risque when coming up with them. But why don't you do the honors? Uh, what about the Flapjack Fire? Can you sell that as name? <laughs> Flapjack Fire it is. They'll probably ask me if it's a camp cooking accident or something. As he walks down the tower and towards the fire to check it out, Delilah continues to talk. So there's this creek on the hill, and you know what my favorite thing to do is? I love to take a bottle of whatever I have on hand, plunge it deep in the water, and let it chill in there all day. And then on nights like tonight, when it's so disgustingly hot, I have something nice and cool to drink. I learned that from my sister in Santa Fe. She'd do that with a bottle of tequila near her house and made margaritas the size of your head. <laughs> You'd like it there. I'm sure I would. Are you looking at the fire? No, I'm not. <laughs> you should. Let me know when you are. Henry continues toward the flapjack fire. It's so dark you can barely see the back of his hand, let alone the map. Okay, I'm looking at it. I love how they look at night. 
during the day it's just smoke but when the sun is down you can just get lost this is an area i kind of want to stop we touched on this a little bit um not too long ago but now we've learned a little bit more about delilah and we've seen kind of more of a back and forth between the two of them what Mm -hmm. are your feelings on the story so far and then also this kind of um relationship between delilah and henry i think that delilah finds something in henry that she is like so Dada's really good at just being this open book, right? And Henry's kind of the opposite. He just really keeps to himself. He doesn't, like, initiate the conversations, but, like, when he feels like he needs to say something, he does about himself. So I feel like they've become really good supports for one another. I think we kind of see also Henry's guilt over Julia and the conversation that he had over the walkie-talkie that Delilah overheard. That was some kind of semblance of, of normalcy in that dream that, that Henry's having, and he just seemed kind of more relaxed in that conversation, which I think was a really beautiful thing. And I think Delilah really handled it well. You know, she really could have made fun of him for that or ignored it and not said anything at all. But she really points it out, but in a, I think, in a really positive way that kind of just, you know, she helps it to frame it like that Henry is a good person, that he really cares about Julia a lot. It's kind of how I took it. I don't know. How, how are you seeing their relationship? And did you get anything out of that, that walkie-talkie conversation between Henry and the, the quote-unquote Julia on the other end? Similar to you, I think it was kind of really sweet and caring. Saying that it was really sweet and that she thought it was really sweet. And then shortly after that, she like shares more about her story, about yeah. how her situation, which I thought was also really interesting. And you get more of an idea of who Delilah is as a person. She had this person she cared for a lot it just kind of fell through as like in really human things do sometimes because she decided to not do something that maybe she should have, but she didn't. But again, who can say in that situation? I I don't know. We're starting to see similar to Henry who's come here because he couldn't, couldn't deal with it. He couldn't, it was too much or he, he didn't know how to manage it. It sounds like in a similar similar way, Delilah was doing some of the same things. Yeah. Yeah. I think they find some kind of um, bond in that way. And I think we're seeing here too that like, you know, Delilah seems very, you know, well put together, very like strong headed, knows her stuff individual where Henry seems very broken because we kind of know his backstory. But when Delilah reveals this relationship with Javier, we see how broken she truly is. And I think it's like that for, for everybody. We all have our baggage and, and the things that we carry and, and that influences how we present ourselves. It sounds like Delilah's kind of been through for quite a long time now. I think she said like 10 years. She used to tell people that he cheated on her with a, with a neighbor. So this relationship has been over for quite some time. But it's still there's still some residuals left over that, that Delilah is, is holding on to. And that's significant for her. But Ryan, when, when she revealed all this and... Henry just brings up his walkie and doesn't say anything and just announces that he found this cash. Do you think there was any reason for that? My only guess is that he didn't know how to answer. He didn't know what to say or he he didn't know what he could say because uh, sim- un- unlike Delilah, maybe part of who he is, he isn't great at comforting others. He isn't great at having the words to say how to comfort others. That isn't the language that he's learned or had experience learning. And it sounds like the same way Delilah has. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I think that, I think this is a moment where not only you as the the viewer is seeing this other side of Delilah, Henry is too. You know, this is a side I don't think Henry's really seen of Delilah. So it's kind of like, a, God, what do I say? You know, I'm I'm this broken human. She's been telling me all these things of like supporting me and 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 you know having my back, but like how how the heck do I have hers? I don't think it was a malicious thing for Henry. It does it does seem like from like an outsider's perspective, it's kind of like a, a jerk thing to do to not even respond to that story. Like, but I think for Henry, I think I don't know. My guess would be like silence is better than what he 
plan to say, you know, or, or he really just struggled to even say anything. So maybe just change the topic deflection as therapists like to call it, was just, was just a better thing to, for him to do. I don't know. I think I just, I, I can't get over how good this game is. And it's just dialogue. Yeah. It's between it's like, just, dialogue. It's just dialogue. Yeah. It's just yeah, yeah. two people having kind of like this really honest and open conversation in the middle of the forest in, in somewhere. I just think what is absolutely amazing about this game is that you're getting the most character characterization, like character dynamic building from a game where you're not even presently acting or interacting with somebody. You're doing it over a walkie talkie. And, and we're getting more of that, more characterization from that than most games do from constant character interaction, like physical interaction, talking to someone face to face. I feel like there's so much more of character building in, in this than most games, yeah. which is so cool. I, it's 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 amazing that that video games can do this. It's it, it blows my mind. It's so cool. Day seventy six. Henry is fishing without a license at Jonesy Lake. He's sick of all the stuff he has to eat from the supply drop. While he's at the lake, Delilah asks him to look into a problem she heard about from some fish and game reports. She wants him to search around the lake for some fresh tracks and report back to her. There's a crew bringing fire lines out to the east, and it rivals up some wildlife. A.K.A. Bears. Henry arrives at the lake and discovers a clipboard with writing on it near the lake. It has notes about the conversation between him and Delilah. His reading is interrupted by a strange noise towards the canyon. Someone is out there with him. He heads towards the source of the noise and finds another radio on the ground. Before he can inspect it, someone knocks him out. Henry comes to, lying on the ground where he was knocked out. I got hit in the head, punched or something by someone. Are you serious? What the hell is going on out there? I don't know. I don't know. Jesus Christ. Let me get this straight. You found a clipboard with, what, transcripts of our conversations? What else is on it? Henry goes back to where he found the clipboard by the water's edge. I don't know. It's, it's gone, along with the radio of theirs. Somebody out here could have just killed me, Delilah. What the fuck? What is going on? What's Wapati Station? I don't know. I saw the name Wapati Station right before I was cold cocked. Does Wapati Station mean anything to you? Maybe it's Wapati Meadow? It's on the map and not too far from where you are. It's where you saw the fence. It's it's north of the lake. It looks like there should be a trail somewhere on the north shore of the Jonesy Lake. Henry's head killing him, but he immediately starts heading towards the station. He hikes through ravines and occasionally stops at caches along the way. Are you sure you saw what you saw, Henry? Maybe you pissed off some campers and they came back to sucker punch you. I know what I saw. It was our words with initials for our names. H and D, clear as day. And you've been feeling okay? I feel fine. Okay, I'm sorry. I believe you. But that conversation was from two weeks ago. I know. I know they were. So what's to say they don't have transcripts from three, four, five weeks ago? Our entire relationship, friendship, the whole summer. Someone is out here with a walkie-talkie taking notes and talking to God knows who. What do you think is going on behind that fence? Apparently a lot of following you around and taking notes. Which is unfucking believable Henry. I'm going to call around and see if anyone has anything weird happening to them or seem spooked. I don't want to make this bigger than it is yet. You know? Henry arrives at the fence. It appears to go off in both directions for acres. Tries to find a way to get past it. The fence is locked. Tries to break the padlock on the gate with a sturdy piece of wood and a loose rock, but no luck. Delilah suggests he contacts the guys in the control burn. Might be able to help. They're beyond Ruby River at a scout camp southeast of his lookout. They're beyond Ruby River at a scout camp southeast of his lookout. With no way to get through the fence, he begins to head back. He begins to head to the fireman for help. Hey, I called around. Things seem normal with everyone else. Has anything strange been happening on your end? Nothing, really. My door was open the other night, but that's not strange. It was really nothing. 
before I got attacked back at the lake, I saw a radio on the ground. Kind of like the one I used. Do you think that maybe someone was maybe intercepting our frequency with other radios or something? It's just a thought. I don't even know how you can do that. Let's not spin out of control. Just keep hiking to the scout camp. I know we don't know what's going on, but I don't have a good feeling. I don't like feeling vulnerable. It's not like you can just call the police. I was thinking about the Goodwins. It just struck me that if anything weird like this happened to them, happened to Brian, how scared he would have been. He had his dad to protect him. Ned, right? I mean, it was three years ago. He's in high school now. He's in summer break. Yeah, you're right. I know. Henry is still making his way south of Ruby River. He comes across an old crashed snowmobile. The engine stripped. He continues onto the camp and stops right before reaching it. The bridge of the camp has collapsed. Henry decides to walk the ravine to see if he can find some high ground to get across. When he reaches the old Boy Scout camp, he explores. All the wooden structures painted bright orange, red color. A bear trap lies in one of the shelters. There's no sign of the firefighters. However, they left an axe, which Henry pockets, and a note left behind. It says, Replying Dr. Simon's Obadi Station. Someone is writing down our conversations, and now you find out there's a research site here that we don't know about? What are they researching? Us. They're researching us. You think that they're studying you and me? I do, yeah. Maybe it's about studying two strangers who talk every day? Like, if you put someone in isolation with someone else, what they do? With axe in hand, Henry heads back to Opati Meadow to break in through the fence gate. I think we should allow for the possibility that this is all just a big misunderstanding, but if you saw what you said you did... Fuck, Henry. So what's next? I've got an axe so I can figure out a way to get over the ravine and back towards the site. I had a thought. You heard someone in the bushes. Let's assume you're being tailed. Where are you right now? Just in on a tree, headed back. Alright, tell me what you think of this. He hears a strange audio recording playing from the radio. Someone coughs, metal clanging. Either he or Delilah cough. There isn't any way someone like another lookout could be on this line, is there? No. Not without tapping our radios. Get in your tower, shut the door. Don't leave and don't use your radio. I'll call you, understand? I will call you. So Ryan, now we're getting this like creepy vibe from this game it's kind of taking a turn right it was going to this very intimate friendship we're sharing feelings we're kind of like making progress with ourselves to now it's like someone is listening and writing down our conversations there's a secret research facility on site that they didn't know about and that moment when you hear this guy coughing on the on the over the radio is just oh it sends shivers down your spine when you first played this or you listen to this now like were you surprised by this and, and did, it, did it creep you out because i think up to this point i was just kind of waiting for things to happen um mm-hmm. because at this point you've been, you've been playing the game this is probably right around halfway maybe maybe a little past half so you've been playing this game for some time just kind of exploring and hiking around the map and exploring the world and and as far as the story just kind of having this conversation waiting for whatever happens to happen or if anything does so I, I don't know if I was surprised, but certainly it was really creepy. And it means after this point, every the rest of the game when you're playing it, you're kind of looking or, or you're you're paranoid almost. Yeah, yeah. It's it 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 made me feel really insecure. I don't know. It, it's funny because Delilah made that joke in the beginning of the game where you see this person shine their flashlight down at you, and Henry's like, "There's someone up the, on the rocks. They're looking down at me. They're running away." And uh, and Delilah's like. That's what nature is, Henry. There's people out in the middle of the woods you run into, and that's the fun part of this. But now it's not so fun because it's really creepy. Someone's recording their 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 messages to each other. What this game does super well is that it creeps you out 
but without throwing all these scary things at you. It's setting up like a real life situation that you can put yourself in Henry's shoes because you basically are Henry. And you kind of feel that like, oh my God, what if someone was listening to my conversations with someone else? And someone was tailing me and someone knocked me out. You're walking through this forest where you're very open. You know, you don't know who's behind you watching you. It's, it's just super creepy. Very interesting. I think this game took a weird turn. No, weird turn. It took an interesting turn and I'm like, where could they go now, you know? Day 77. Henry reclines in the chair of his watchtower. The small plume of the flapjack fire rises in the distance as Henry picks up his radio to try to call Delilah again on his walkie. Thoroughfare Tower. This is Two Forks calling you for the, oh, 50th time today. Flapjack fire continues to move in a southerly fashion. Delilah, for fuck's sake, answer your radio. Hello, sunshine. Sorry, I went out for a little bit. What can I do for you? I didn't sleep a wink last night. I've been going crazy for the past six hours of sunup. How are you so chipper? Well, it's a new day. What a day. This day we've been given. Maybe I'm actually asleep right now. Maybe I didn't stay up all night knowing that someone is... I actually slept just great. Uh, okay. By the way, I was wondering if your floor of the Shoshone info poster is still up inside your tower. What? It's just protocol that those stay up, you know, info about your tower, the surrounding tree species, etc. Um, alright. Just, you know, have a look at it. Make sure it's in ship shape. Henry stands from his chair and makes his way through the messy tower. The morning light shines over the mountains in the distance. He walks up to the poster and reports to Delilah. Okay, yeah, it's up. Why are you acting like this? Great, just wonderful. Do you see the tree in the top row, second from the left? Uh, sure, it's the, uh... No, you don't need to tell me. Just, um, internalize it. It's a great tree. And there's an area called, um, that tree's name in your sector that maybe you should take a midday hike to. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe I should go for a hike. And he grabs his bag. His map makes his way down the tower towards Cottonwood Creek. Uh, I'm here. I'm at Cottonwood Creek. You see the cachet box there? It must be around here somewhere. It is. Find it and open it. I changed the code. It's 5678. Are, are you kidding me? I was in a rush. Henry approaches the cash box and enters the code. The wooden top slides open. Inside, among the debris, is a new radio. Henry tosses the old one inside and pulls the antenna of the new radio open. I got it now. Good. I spent all day getting you that radio. I hiked to a cachet box, lied to another ranger, and hopefully now you are holding a clean, untapped radio. Hopefully. Holy fuck, Henry. We have got to get into that site. What the fuck is going on? People are listening to us? I don't know. Are there other lookouts this is happening to? Someone else is in on this. Anyone? Ugh, this is just happening to us. Everyone else is fine. You sure? Yes. I tried to bring it up to Chimney Rock... Elk's Fork and Beartooth Lookout, and every one of them just got confused. Asked if I'm okay, and if I need to be relieved. Our fucking, our fucking state coordinators asked if I was just having lady troubles. So no, this isn't just happening to anyone else, and I'm done asking. I'm heading back to that gate. Now I've got an axe, so I'll know something soon. Henry puts away the radio and makes his way back to the station. The sun is setting as he crosses the breathtaking wilderness. The babbling of the river and the swaying trees almost make him forget the strange series of events that have taken place over the past few weeks. Getting used to walk. Delilah calls again on the radio. Henry grabs it from his bag as he starts to talk. Hey, uh, I just thought of something not... Not great. What is it? I found a report that said neither of us ever talked to or saw those girls. The ones that went missing. A few weeks back. 
so? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not following you. Henry, our radios were tapped the entire time we talked about it. Maybe even on your first day when you had that run in with them. Oh. Oh. Oh no. Oh yes. Now, someone probably has the transcript of that entire conversation. And I filed a report that's a blatant lie. And those girls are still missing? Yep. Fuck, Delilah. Fuck indeed. We really need to get to the bottom of this. Radio buzzes to indicate the end of the conversation, as Henry continues to psych, axe in hand, to break into a body station. With map and compass, Henry finds the gate, a lock keeping him out of the meadow, and uses his axe to break the lock. Ignoring the no trespassing sign, he heads inside. He finds a trail box labeled the potty, he heads inside to find a clipboard labeled the potty station personnel. It outlines how to reach someone named Dr. Simmons, and who is in charge of both the government and university equipment. Henry holds on the clipboard and continues inside. The sun sets. And it calls Delilah as he arrives at the modding tower. Uh, okay, I'm at the site. I don't see anybody around. Lucky for us. Yeah, lucky for us. D, this is some serious comms equipment out here. Wireless stuff. What do you mean? I'm talking big, 20-foot-tall transmission tower. They can probably listen to whoever the hell they want. They're nestled down in this valley, which makes it nearly impossible for you or any lookout to see them. Henry continues to explore the meadow, looking for more answers. He finds another set of equipment in a small tent. Henry makes his way into the nearby tent and starts to look around. Papers strewn about the floor of the tent. A set of cords, a small burner, a desk with a map of the park. He calls Lila again to report his spy things. It's definitely some sort of monitoring station. I wonder where they are. All their stuff is here. And they know you're there. So see what you can find and get out. I found their main monitoring desk. My god, what do you see? The desk is a mess. It's as if someone was in a rush or knocked a bunch of shit over on accident. There's some sort of monitor. I don't know what it does. Maybe air quality or something? Maybe they're keeping data on everything that can impact our moods? That looks possible. This is crazy. Henry grabs a clipboard on top of the desk and starts to look it over. He sees a series of coordinates and four subjects. He responds to Delilah through the radio. Okay, shit. I've got another clipboard here, and that confirms they're tracking our movements. The log they've got tracks the movement of four subjects. You and me? Uh, yeah, definitely me, and I suppose you two. What about the other two? Maybe the missing girls? Like, they're still out here and these people are following them? Maybe. It's a possibility, right? Then why haven't you seen them? I don't know. Henry looks around the tent to find instruments for measuring earthquakes, barometric pressure, and a map that tracks a variety of paths, including ones that Henry frequents. He continues to look around and finds a closed metal case. He pops it open and finds something inside called a wave receiver. After hitting some buttons and moving the antenna, it starts to beep. As he moves, it gets louder and quieter. Determined to follow where the machine leads, Henry takes the receiver and explores. Then him back into the tent and towards the desk. He pushes the paper aside to find a small black box and a notebook. The notebook has the words subjects, Henry M. and Delilah A. written on three pieces of tape. Henry flips open the book to find a series of observation reports of both him and Delilah. He calls Delilah. Are you shitting me? What? What is it? This is a folder of reports here. What do they say? There are assessments about the two of us. There's stuff in here about Julia. Like what? Stuff stuff I didn't tell you. This is... What does it say about me? You said there was one thing about me. It looks like they've been following me around. What I do when I'm hiking? Jesus. Henry, do you hear me? They say you and your boyfriend are still together. What? We're not. They're messing with us. Yeah, okay. They are. How do they even know who he is? How the hell does this... I am so sick of letting these people do this to us. We should just burn the place down. Think about it. Maybe that's what they want us to do. What do you mean? Maybe they're trying to push us to the point where we do something crazy. This grass is dry as hell. It would go up in a second. Well, now I'm thinking, what if you're right? I just don't think we should do anything we can't undo. Well, maybe it's not the best idea. It's definitely not the best idea. 
I'm so fucking wound up. It's all right. I'm just going to hike back. We have the rave receiver, and tomorrow we can figure out what to do. Henry tears the pages from the board, heads out of the tent. He makes his way back towards the metal gate and back out towards his watchtower. On the outside of the fence, he turns to survey the meadow he just left. A column of smoke fills the sky. Um, Delilah? There's smoke coming from the site. They just climbed out of there. What the hell happened to it's definitely not the best idea? It wasn't me. What do we do? We just call it in like any other fire. And what about who started it? What about them? The person who started it? Yeah. We're talking about people watching us out here. We're now burning the forest and everything in it around us. I don't know what to do about that. Except get the hell out. Yeah. Get us the hell out of here. I will. Day 77. Night. Henry is sitting at the typewriter as he finishes typing. Who is listening to us before taping it to the watchtower window, along with all the other pages he's collected during his time in the Shoshone Forest? A pillar of smoke fills the air in the distance, and Henry receiver starts to beep. Henry radios Delilah, who just acquired a fifth of Major Bueno Tequila, and explains she is going to get drunk and let the chips fall where they lie. Henry, frustrated, pockets the radio and heads outside to follow the beeping of the receiver. Outside, smoke fills the star-filled sky. Owls hoot in the distance as the light of the now-growing forest fire burns. Henry makes his way down his tower, guided by the receiver. He hikes through the forest as the sounds of crickets fill the air. The receiver leads him to a strange backpack, hidden in the brush. Henry grabs it and the alarm goes off. Shit! He yells, and he throws his hands in the air to protect himself from whatever happens next. The alarm continues to ring until Henry realizes he's in no danger from the alarm and smashes it with his axe. He finds a backpack filled with light supplies as well as a key. He turns his radio back on and asks Delilah if she knows more. D, I found some sort of supply bag. Light camping gear, some clothes, basics, but it was alarmed. I think that was making this receiver go haywire. You okay? It's not a trap or anything? Yeah, I'm fine. But there's also this set of keys here. I don't know why they'd be hidden out here. They say Shoshone National Forest Cave 452. Is that the one in the canyon? Yeah, it is. Who the hell took them? What the hell is in that cave? Henry pulls out his map and plots a trail to the cave as he walks through the clearing. Okay, let's just think, says the woman with half a bottle of tequila in her belly. Maybe they're panicking and we're preparing to beat it. The fire has them spooked and we have new walkie-talkies so that we have the upper hand. Yeah, well, it's hard to feel like you have the upper hand when you're standing in the dark in the middle of the forest. Oh, well, you're back in your tower. Maybe you need a drink too. Uh, I'm not in my tower. I am looking at a man standing in your lookout and it's not you? It's, it's not me. Oh my god, go! I'm going. Henry turns off the radio and rushes back towards his tower. He rushes through the calm of the forest and up the wooden steps to his lookout tower and peers inside. I don't see anyone up here. He was just there. Henry goes to open the door to find a walkman taped to the door window. He pulls it off and puts it on. On the recording, he can hear Delilah's voice from back inside the tent, suggesting he burn it down. Henry's voice follows with a comment about the dry grass. All of Henry's protests, the decision not to start the fire were cut out. It's a tape of us talking down at the site. It sounds like we recorded from somewhere nearby. It sounds like we were the ones who burned it down. It was your idea. No. We are screwed. No. D, just don't freak out, okay? Don't freak out. Oh my god, what the fuck is happening, Henry? Day 78. Henry plays the clip on the Walkman, clicks reverse, plays the click over and over again. It's gonna be okay. We haven't done anything wrong. Someone claiming to be Henry in Two Forks called a lookout in another sector early this morning and said that I knew what caused the Wapati Meadow Fire. So I just got off the horn with that lookout who's wondering what I know, or that I'm an arsonist, or that I'm fucking losing it. Furthermore, I bet you don't have the only tape of us from last night, so someone has evidence to back it up. We need to find out what someone's been keeping in that cave. We don't have a lot of time left here. If we don't find some fucking answers, 
When they lift us out, it's going to be in handcuffs. We just have to stick together, keep our story straight, from the first day with those girls, to the person breaking into our conversations, everything. we got to be honest and consistent. Head down to the cave to get some answers. Hey, you didn't actually make that call, right? To the other lookout? It just stuck in my car. I let myself imagine how fucked I would be if you'd been lying to me. I don't, I don't even know how to call anyone else. Rest assured, I would have found someone with a better sense of humor a long time ago if I did. He unlocks the gate to cave 452 and shoves his way through. The gate closes and shuts on its own behind. What the hell? Delilah? Someone locked me in this cave. Is this thing working? Delilah, send someone to the cave, please. There's no reception in the cave. With the door locked, Henry has no choice but to try and find another way out of the cave. The cave seems endless. It's cold. He has to jump over large gaps, climb up big ledges, and even down more. Henry finally finds the exit of the cave and gets in touch with Delilah. You saw someone? No, someone slammed the gate behind me and then ran away. I found another way out. If I hadn't, Jesus. So you didn't find anything? No, there's a spot where someone had sunk an anchor, but the hardware's gone now. Henry doesn't have any climbing equipment, neither does Delilah. Henry decides to hike back to Two Forks and see if there's anything there. that could double as an anchor to use in the spot. On the way back, Henry stumbles upon an old outcropping. Someone was using as a fort. Could have been Brian Goodwin's. Hand-drawn schematics and old science report. School photos, little, school folders litter the ground. They almost got busted. Brian liked to go out on the railing of the tower and wave at the planes that dump water on fires. Then I got a call because someone thought a kid was up in two forks. I lied and just said it was Ned. If I ratted him out, they would have been forced to leave and I don't know. I guess I felt like I was saving him from whatever shitty life Ned was going to bring him back to. Henry finds an old ham radio schematic that Ned and Brian had worked on together. He also finds Ned's anchors that Brian was going to hide in a cache. Cache box for Ranger to find. Brian hated climbing, and the easiest way not to climb was to hide the anchors. What do you think is down there? Whatever it is, they don't want you telling anyone about it. They closed the door. They could have just... Bashed your head in with a rock or chopped you with a hatchet? Are you sure you want to go back in there? Honestly, I just want to know. I want to know what's worth doing everything that's been done to us. Yeah, me too. And not going to jail would be a nice kicker. The beeping wave receiver and compass. You found a Brian's hideout. Henry heads to the cave to explore deeper. On the trail, he finds a dead elk with a tracking collar, which the rave receiver picked up on. Maybe they're tracking elk at the site. Maybe they're doing exactly what they said they were doing. There's a lot of equipment there. They could have been up to a lot, you know? Those girls turned up. Looks like he didn't kill them. Nobody did. They took some farmer's tractor for a joyride and landed in jail. Dodged a bullet there. We've got enough unanswered shit to answer for, I'd say. In the cave, Henry reaches the anchor points and climbs down deeper into the cave. He has to bend, climb, he has to bend, climb down, and climb over rocks in his path. The cave is dark and claustrophobic until he reaches a larger opening. In the clearing lies some broken climbing gear and the remains of a young boy's body. Brian's climbing gear gave way. He had fallen down the steep shaft at the bottom of the cave and passed away. Henry continues onward, climb out of the cave and report the body to Lila, but also in the hopes of other answered. Hey, D. There you are. I've been worrying my ass off. You might want to take a seat. I've been sitting. What's wrong? Uh, the only thing I found in that cave was a body. It's Brian Goodwin's. You, you've got to be fucking kidding me. How? Climbing, I think. Or made to look like a climbing accident. I think that's just what it was. He was exploring the cave and his rope gave out. Whoever locked me in there probably didn't even know about him. What do we do now? Are you okay? He'd be alive if I had told someone he was out here. I don't know where he'd be, but I'm sure you... I don't know where he'd be, but I assure you, wouldn't that be rotting in the bottom of a cave? There's nothing to say. Hike back. I think we're leaving tomorrow anyway. 
what are your thoughts and feelings on on everything that's going on? We've got some ups and downs. We've ever appreciated more questions than answers that seem to be kind of a theme in a lot of these stories. Yeah, it's like such a roller coaster of emotion. Leaving the the tape and the Walkman behind for Henry to find that is like incriminating them. It's like very like what the what the heck's going on here? It, it's just so creepy to know that someone's out there doing these things to them. And then it goes from this kind of creepy, scary vibe to then find Brian Goodwin dead in this cave, and it just kind of just kind of dissipates and becomes just so sad. Like that's all you can like focus on now is the fact that this poor boy died and the scariness that kind of this person in the woods isn't. It's not so scary anymore because this poor boy died. You know, like so. Yeah, I, it's just it's a whirlwind, and you, you feel so sad. Like, like I I remember being really sad when I see I saw the elk dead and and the on the walk to the cave with the equipment on its neck. And then, so I was kind of worried in that mood where I was like, man, I feel kind of down. Like this, it just feels like a lot's going on right now. And then you find Brian Goodwin and it's like, oh my God, like this poor boy. And, and, and now we're seeing Delilah's guilt over not having reported him even being there to begin with. You know, she, she's now blaming herself, even though it's not really her fault. It's, you know, I don't even know if it's anyone's fault. But it's it's easy. Delilah, I, I would say Delilah is a very good person, right? And so this is going to be something that really affects her and makes her feel like maybe she didn't do the right thing in her mind. So a theme in this game, and we'll talk more about this at the end, is we keep thinking there's this like big mystery or big kind of conspiracy going on, and then it ends up being kind of more sad and real than you expected. And and with with the girls who we thought were missing and captured or killed or being tracked, it just turned up after you know being drunk teenagers and that kind of ended up being nothing and all of the mystery all the wondering what's going on i mean he- henry even says well maybe they are just tracking deer maybe that's all this is it-, it-, it takes a lot of twists and turns and feels like a very different game than when we started and i think it wouldn't be as solid if it wasn't for this relationship between delilah and henry and their flaws as characters i mean delilah like you said is a good person but willing to bend the rules or do what she thinks is best and as humans sometimes that that isn't what's best and we we can never know that yeah there's a lot of answered questions and actually now i'm thinking about it maybe you can clarify something for me ryan because i don't think i understand when henry goes to that campsite and he finds the documents about him and julia information he never said out loud like what what is that? So that's not the Wapati Station then, right? So it was in Wapati Station, that, that folder. It was buried underneath. So there was this black box tracker on top of, buried under some papers. On the desk, when you first looked at it, it's just kind of this messy, disheveled desk. Underneath some papers, there's a black box tracker, which is the thing he finds beeps. And then it's this kind of, it looks like a, a college rule, like school notebook. And you open it and it has um, Henry and Delilah it has like this like rating of gullibility or rating of believability. It has like some kind of snippets about them, but nothing too detailed. Um, at least oh, not that okay. we see in the in the um, game because we only see like the the two pages. So when Henry says there's stuff in here about Julia, I, I don't remember seeing that physically on there. But obviously, if he says it, it there must be something there. Day seventy nine. Henry's packing up his backpack, backing Brian's folder into his backpack when Delilah interrupts him over the radio. You see that plane? There's going to be a lot more. The service says that the fire is 2% contained. Is this flapjack fire or the site fire? The two fires merged into one unmitigated disaster. They're renaming it after my lookout. Are you packed up? Shouldn't we talk for a second? How everything's connected? The surveillance, the Goodwins, Brian's death? I don't know what to say. It's, it's like the universe cooked up the cruelest thing to have ever happened. Does it connect to everything else? I don't know. 
I don't know if I even want to. There's got to be a reason. Maybe it, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, you could find the source of that signal. It could be nothing, but we don't know what it is. But you should pack up everything first in case you get the call and you can't come back. Henry leaves the lookout, maybe for the last time, and follows the signal beeps. The signal strength directs him to the forest. Viola lets him know that the evac team is coming to get them both. Viola will tell him when to start heading north towards the tram. It will let them hike to the rendezvous point at Delilah's lookout. Meanwhile, he continues to follow the signal until he reaches rope. There's paint on the side of the cliff that makes an arrow that spells out his name. A tracking collar is tied to the rope. Someone is leading Henry to the rope. And there's another tape. Henry presses play. Hey, Henry. You better find this before it burns up. We've been causing each other a lot of headaches. Now I gotta get out. Now I gotta go stake out a site that's fit for living as the one you're about to find. You'll get it when you see it. You can't blame me for keeping an eye on you. Now after bumping into you back in May, down by the cave for fuck's sake. I've been up here for three years. I kept it cozy. Winters are harsh as hell and I ran out of books. But I got that antenna rigged up and Delilah, she's a record you don't gotta flip. I kinda get why Brian took to her. About a week ago I stopped worrying about you finding anything out. And that's right when everything went shit house with you two. You guys don't know anything about having kids, alright? Nobody knows nothing. It ain't Andy or Nopey walking down the lake and fish every afternoon. It isn't Mayberry. But you gotta know I didn't kill him, alright? We were climbing. I was teaching him. Brian was uneducated in the way to do anything. He, he just... He just fucking didn't sink his anchor in the right way. You know, I thought about going back, having to answer questions, and having to get him put in the ground. And I didn't see the point. Don't come looking for me. I'm sorry about your wife. We found the surveillance operation. It was it's Ned Goodwin. He was the one listening to us. Just him. Ned Goodwin? He made the tape? Yeah, he, he's gone deeper. Deeper into the Shoshone. He doesn't want anyone to know he's out here. Because he killed Brian. Because he killed his fucking son. You, you need to get back here. They say helicopters are making rounds. The smoke in the air is getting heavier and heavier. Embers blowing past him in the wind. Henry heads north to the evacuation point. Yeah, so there, there's our answer. So, Ryan, what do you think the point was? The point of everything Ned did? Yeah. I think he was just scared. So the reason Ned first started this is Henry found the locked cave on his first day when he was hiking in that. Right. In that right. crevasse. So um, Ned was scared that Henry was going to find out what happened to Brian. And I think what he did was to scare Henry out of out of here right so everything at wapai station was just wapai station it's so interesting how like so we go back to that whole perspective thing they were so so stuck on what was happening to them that they immediately thought this crazy research station that they didn't know about has to do something with us you know like, there has to be some involvement in this but they, they could never find anybody it was always like bacon but there was always someone following them so they just thought there has to be someone involved here they're, they're researching them they're like a part of some experiment and it's just like their fear let their rationale kind of just take a back seat. And, and so all these crazy possibilities were now more were now more possible rather than just nothing actually was happening except for one person messing with them. You know, it was it was super interesting. But at the but thinking about it, I think we see it in what Ned says. Like, but you gotta know I didn't kill him. All right, we were climbing. I was teaching him. Brian was uneducated in the way to do anything. He just he just fucking didn't sink his anchor the right way. So I think that I think this is like an act of like he he knew Delilah poorly about him and this is a way to kind of exonerate himself. But I, I but I imagine he also does blame himself. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. 
but then realizing it was pointless and then by explaining it maybe it kind of exonerated him or made him feel like he could i don't know feel less bad about it i don't know it's interesting i wish we got more of ned's perspective yeah it's also kind of a fun mystery of it i know that i should be relieved relieved that there's no evidence of us starting that fire relieved that we're not crazy there wasn't some conspiracy but i'm not he was a sweet kid with a shitty father who hid out here like a coward after dumping him in a hole i think it was an accident i don't think ned meant to kill him we don't know what happened for sure Ned wanted his son to be able to climb and do the sorts of things he did himself, but Brian couldn't. And how'd that turn out, Henry? Sorry. God. It would have been so easy just to tell the truth and have him sent home. I can't stop thinking about it. You didn't do anything wrong. Yes, I did. And now I've got to decide whether or not I tell people that he's down there so that they can retrieve his body or not. And if I do, I'm going to be asked about Ned Goodwin. One second. They're here, but they're making rounds. They'll come back. I think I'm going to go with them. That's a good idea. It's dangerous here, and if anything were to happen, it'd be on me. All right. If it's okay with you, then I should go. Have a safe flight. Henry continues to hike until he reaches the evacuation spot near the ravine. He tries to radio Delilah to report report that, but she doesn't answer. Henry pulls himself across and reaches Delilah's lookout. It's massive compared to two points. A lot more personalized. Delilah has clearly lived there longer. Her red checkered bedspread matches with the red books on the shelf, a forest poster, and even a rug. Henry tries on Delilah's headset. Let's try again to reach her. Hey, it's me. I'm back at the staging area near the trailhead. I think I see your red truck. I think there might be a raccoon living in it. Uh, make sure he's comfy, I guess. <laughs> it shouldn't take long for the helicopter to reach you. There's a debrief in the station like this. Lots of questions. Oh, shit. Uh, so, taking stock, we found an old lookout who killed his only son and decided to become a lonely hermit. Yes. And we prevented one fire? Basically started another. Okay, so that's a wash. I'll have to figure out what I'm going to do every summer from now on that isn't this. You're not coming back? No. Me either. I don't know what's next. Tell you what, why don't you choose for me and I'll choose for you. Alright, sure. Maybe come back to Boulder with me and figure it out down there. Just a thought? You don't want me down there. Well, I just asked you. I got some things to do in Casper, and maybe I'll head south sometime after that. I could come by, sure. Sure, so what about me? I think you should go to Julia, and then you can figure it out. Maybe put that typewriter to some good use. Give me a sexy accent or something when you write about this. You gotta go see her. <sighs> yeah, sure. You came out here to put your memories behind you, and they're still right there in front of you. You're right. I mean, I think you're right. When I get back, maybe I could. We shouldn't focus on the summer. Next year, we'll roll around, and then the year after that, and then it's just... I don't know. My Aunt Judy called it a phase in the how. My Aunt Judy called it a phase in the hallway of time. Didn't your aunt smoke a lot of pot? Yeah. You should try to take her advice, too. <laughs> Thanks. I will. Good luck, Henry. Thank you, Delilah. I, I appreciate it. The helicopter has arrived to fly Henry out of the park. The sky is full of smoke. It's hard to see for more than a few feet. It takes the hand of the rescue member and climbs aboard the chapter. The end. So, Eric, what are your what are your final thoughts on Firewatch? Overall, things that you want to talk about or that we? Yeah, yeah. I think overall, I mean, I just, I just I love the story. I love that it like it does that thing. It explains that thing that we all do when we get 
afraid or we kind of let fear take a hold of us is that every little possibility becomes this gigantic thing that that is like a reality for us so like for henry and delilah it was this little potty station spying on them and really it was a lot simpler was, i mean still crazy but it was this man living on the woods listening to them which is really terrifying but playing this game and thinking oh my god i can't wait to see delilah in person you know i just cannot wait to like finally see her you know i really i was really looking forward to that and then you get in the chapter and it ends i was like what there's no way did we do something wrong i remember like asking my girlfriend like, do we do something wrong mess thing up so we can't see her and i remember like googling it and finding out no you just you never see her that she has no character model in the game she just she's just a, vo a voice you know like I, at the time i felt really disappointed that we couldn't see her that there was this this person that we could never we only ever talked to but she wasn't this tangible thing that we could like see you know interact with but now having listened to the story again i'm okay with that you know what i mean like it doesn't have to delilah is so much more than just this physical embodiment of who she is that you can interact with this whole relationship this whole friendship the intimacy they shared was emotional and not physical which i think only supports the thing that we're talking about with the whole this doesn't need to be a sexual relationship thing connected on in so many different ways with each other and emotionally at the end left as friends it's so interesting because henry tries to keep this friendship going yeah because he's afraid i mm -hmm. think he's he's trying to keep her in boulder with him and they'll just do something and, and but she knows that's not the right call she knows what they both need to do i don't know i i i guess it's left up to interpretation right what, what do you think henry did at the end when he left i don't know you kind of hope like to think that like after this experience he went back to boulder and and then he just ended up going to see julia in melbourne but I, I can't imagine what going through that would be like and i think in a lot of games you have this like arc where the character is different at the beginning than they are at the end and i don't know after this experience if henry is a different person or if he's just had this intense experience but still hasn't quite faced or dealt with the thing that he needed he needs to deal with. He he had this yeah. arc of an experience, but it wasn't one that I think was formative enough because he didn't actually face what it was he needed to face. Right, yeah. And actually I think that's why I think that's why we see Ned in this game, or that's why we have Ned in this game. Because really Henry, Delilah, and Ned are all the sim like the same person oh, yeah. in a way, yep. shape or form. They're all running from something, right? Ned is the first one to really confront that. He actually like changes his mind and kind of forces Henry to see this this thing that he's been shamed of and, and hiding, which is his his son's dead body. He's kind of it seems like Ned's kind of come in terms with that. So and and Henry's experienced this literally in person, like seeing the body, seeing and listening to the recording, but from Ned left behind for for him. Part of me feels like. Yeah, it would be really easy for Henry just to go back to Boulder and keep living his life, finding a new job, and just doing his own thing. But I think I want to believe that this interaction with Ned and seeing Ned change from being this person that just wanted to get rid of Henry to being someone that Henry could be someone he can confide in. So that way this, this guilt maybe doesn't hurt him so much anymore. Or I don't know. And maybe that will inspire Henry to go do his own thing. I don't know about Delilah. Delilah is still kind of stuck on the fact that Ned killed, her son, killed his son. But maybe she learned something from Henry, you know? It's I like to think that all these people learn something about themselves and have grown in a way, but Henry the most, because we I think we knew him the most. Henry and Delilah are going back to the world to at least maybe face what they're gonna do, but they they very much easily could have broken the other way and gone the way of Ned, where 
you know, uh, and in the end, I think you're right. He did face it in some way. He showed somebody and he lived with it and confided in, in Henry at least, but all of them yeah. are trying to run away from something. And it, Ned's been here for three years and he's just now facing it. You can't really ever escape these things. And I think that's one of the themes of this game is you, you can never escape the things in your life. Even if you go to something like, hiking in the forest or staying somewhere in a camp to try and escape things going on because it'll always be there afterwards it's and and what i think is really interesting is for me as an individual video games are a way that i i escape the world um and here's a video game forcing me to confront the fact that that's just not (laughs) not something you can do because eventually the game ends and eventually you have to go back to that world and actually face those problems in the same way that henry and delilah um, are going to have to face those problems. Something I want to mention earlier is that um, we were talking kind of like about the whole running away thing with Henry and Delilah. They ran away from the problems and what that kind of means. And um, something I even learned recently um, as, a, as a therapist from my colleagues and, and working with kids where I work at was the idea of dropping expectations. So like, for example, a lot of times where I work at, I work at, I work at a, a school um, for kids who need like therapeutic services and behavioral services and stuff like that. And I think we all have recognized there's a time in our life where we didn't want to do something or, you know, we were a kid and, and we cried and, and refused and screened. And normally for a kid who does that, it's a normal temper tantrum, but there are a lot of kids who just don't know how to cope properly. They don't know how to handle a situation that's stressful. So that's how they react. So in adult season, they go, no, you have to finish this and then you can stop. But for a child who doesn't know how to cope, that's an impossible task and it makes it hard. So this idea of dropping the expectation it comes to my mind in terms of for this child who doesn't know how to cope, we drop this expectation of, of, of falling through with this task, which goes against every adult instinct, right? We're all told as adults, like, you know, you have to listen to, you have to listen to me. I'm the adult. You need to finish this task first before you can move on. But again, for a kid who doesn't know how to do that, it's impossible. So dropping the expectation for now, bring this whole idea of dropping the expectation back into this game. For Henry, the expectation is that he needs to go back to his wife right now. That is the expectation. He should never have had this job. He should have just dropped everything. He should have gone to see his wife. He should have done the right thing, the quote-unquote the right thing. But I would argue that Henry went through so much trauma himself with trying to take care of Julia the best that he could that this idea of this expectation where he needed to go right to her and be with her is, I would say, unfair. I'd say it's really unfair because he wasn't ready to confront that. He didn't know how to do that. But now that Henry's gone through all of this and hopefully learned something through Delilah, through Ned, and through the idea that the past will always come back to, to you know, the, your past will always come back to you in some way, shape, or form. Now he maybe knows how to handle that expectation. And now he can actually follow through on it. Whereas before, he just could not. Whatever expectation you have in your mind that you can't seem to achieve, just drop it. Drop it and then and then do something that you can focus on and then maybe when the time comes, you can achieve that, that expectation through learning and growing and, and somehow being able to build yourself back up again, which is thinking what is what Henry and, and Delilah do in this game. Um, it's what I want to believe Henry and Delilah do at the end of this game is that they now have the means to confront this thing, this expectation that, that before they didn't know how to handle. I don't know. I, I really do believe that at the end of this, Henry goes back to his wife. I, and, and I don't know what Delilah does, but I think Delilah does something that maybe she never thought she could before. So it's kind of a, I, I have a hopeful feeling about this now. So simple a concept, but it's just really about humans and their flaws and how we try to escape from things, but ultimately 
never can and how hard that is, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. just, again, always amazed at how human of a story can be told through this medium. It's, it's amazing that we have a medium that can do this. That's besides, you know, books and, and TV and, and movies. But literally, it's like, I mean, I think you could argue that video games are probably like the most interactive form of media because you are, you, are, you are interacting in that world. You are controlling what is happening in that world. Being Henry in this situation, I think it's just such a... I wish we could talk to, to Campo Santos and all, and all those people at, at the team, all the team members. Because I just want to tell them, like, what an amazing idea. Because I feel like you could, I think like everyone can learn something through this game. If you take the time to really like pay attention, I mean, reading the story, I feel like I gained more from reading the story with you than when I first played it. But then again, I'm I was, I'm a very different person than I was four years ago. So I, it's I don't know, it's very interesting. It's very cool. Yeah, it was. It's a it's a great time. Um, and I think if you do play it again, I'm really interested to hear what that what that feels like and what that looks like after and what you notice um, on this next playthrough. I'm really interested to hear about that. Yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, if we do end up playing it, I will totally let you and the story goers know. I, I, it would be a fun thing to talk about for sure. So yeah, that is the story of Firewatch, Ryan. That was you did a great job. Thank, Thank you. you for Thank writing. you. you <laughs> I mean, all, all credit to both my girlfriend who helped me write so much of this in my crazy week, uh, and uh, obviously the people who wrote it originally. <laughs> yeah, writers. yeah. Thank you to all um, everyone who helped write this in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it. That's Firewatch. Firewatch is a good game. Um, but yeah, Story Girls, thanks for listening. And uh, next week, we have Assassin's Creed. Yes, we do. With our, another special guest. Yeah, that'll be... I cannot wait. Bye! Bye!